lastly, just welcoming up Anna, who is doing the second part on the parable of talents today. Cheers, mate. Hi. Morning, fam. Let me just get myself all ready with all my pieces of paper. Alrighty, good morning, church. You've already said that. Repetition's good. So last week, uh, we read the parable of the talents together as a church family. And I encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to, to listen to that ser- sermon over the week, um, to give it a listen. Um, not because I myself am great, but because uh, today will make a little bit more sense if you do listen to it and you haven't yet. Uh, but essentially last week I asked you all three questions uh, to encourage me and us as a family to really consider what gifts and talents our master and our father has put in our hands. We reflected on the fact that every good and every perfect gift is from him. A hundred percent of all of our material and financial and spiritual gifts and time and skills and passions are all for him, from him and to be used for kingdom-building purpose. And my heart is is that over the last week that you've been looking at your list and communing with God and asking him, how can I steward more what it is that you have placed in my hand? So this week, instead of asking you all three questions, which get you to think about what is in your hand, I'm going to share with you all three stories. And the intention behind these stories is that you would be encouraged even further as you seek to steward what is in your hand for kingdom building purpose. Now, it may not be super clear why I have chosen the three stories that I have, but trust me, (laughs) let me take you on a journey, folks. And so if you are a Bible bringer or a device switcher, um, I encourage you to head to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And it's a very well-known piece of Scripture, and it is our first story today. And it is feeding the 5,000. So after these things, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may even have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, 
he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Very waste conscious is Jesus. And therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Now I chose to read this passage from the book of John. Uh, because though this miracle is actually in all four of the Gospels, John actually outlines where the five loaves and where the two fish come from. They come from a boy, or as my translation says, a lad. And I just think that that is beautiful. A child, willing and happy to trust Jesus, giving to Jesus all that he had in his hand, that boy would likely have seen the size of the crowds like the disciples did. He may even have looked and kind of understood some of the logistical challenges that the disciples did. But regardless of its perceived size, he gave what he had to the effort. He displayed a pure faith and a trust in the one who was asking for his fish and for his bread. And we can be so like the disciples sometimes, can't we? The disciples, they looked out at the crowd and they saw 5,000 hungry, hangry souls. And they were like very overwhelmed by the size of the task. And I think that we today, we can similarly, we can look at... Um, you know, the way that society is changing and how it's moving rapidly away um, from the godly values that we know. Uh, we can look at the amount of empty seats that are not just in this house, but so many houses in this town and in towns around the world. We can look at uh, the people in our lives who we love and our families and in work and in our friendship groups who are so far away from Jesus. And we can be overwhelmed like the disciples were here, overwhelmed by the size of the task at hand. And then, with that overwhelming, we can look at what's in our hand, just like Andrew, and we can say, what good is this? What good is this when the task is so big? But here is the thing, and my first point really, which reaffirms last week, was that while the bread and the fish must have seemed small to the boy, it actually even says the fish was small, two small fish. <laughs> while, they were small, while they may have seemed small to the boy, we know, and we know it seemed small to the disciples, that they were not considered small by God. They were actually considered vital. And the Bible is filled with people who by our measure, our view, were considered pretty ordinary, um, but whose lives were used powerfully for kingdom-building purpose. People like Moses, who used his staff to split the seas. People like David, who used stones to kill giants. People like this boy, who had his five loaves and his two fish used powerfully to feed 5,000. We consider our things small and insignificant, but God doesn't. God doesn't. And I just really wanted to pick up on that point this week because as we were writing it, some of you may have written, hmm, yes, I understand 100% of all things are from him and for him, but that's pretty little. What on earth can be achieved with that? A lot. 
fam. A lot can be achieved with a little, and the Bible is filled with examples of it. The second point I really wanted to make from this passage and picking up from where we left last night, last week, last night. <laughs> Oi. Some of us may have the types of talents which we can actually see the multiplication. And remember, a big part of our parable last week was the account, giving the account to the master for what he had given us. Accountability and being able to point to things and say to Jesus, this is what I've done with what I've given you is a big part of what we are considering. In the parable last week, it spoke about how the, five serv- the, the servant with the five and the two talents, they actually went out and they actively sought to use them, and they were able to actually show Jesus five more things or two more things. They could actually point to exact, to exact growth and kingdom building because of what they had, just like this boy with his loaves. He saw what Jesus did with what he, had, he gave in his hand. Um, and some of you, some of you may have the gifts and the talents uh, that likewise, you can actually see the tangible fruit. You may be absolutely awesome with money, right? And you're great at investing. Um, and you've communed and partnered with God and you've asked him where he would have you invest that. And you can tangibly point to ministries and growth that have happened as a result of the money that you've been able to invest. Uh, you may have a wonderful teaching talent, all right? And you're the kind of person who uses that teaching talent to run courses. Um, or you may have an evangelistic spirit. Okay? And you can actually point to people who, whose lives you've been able to, to bring to the Lord because um, of the, evan- the, the message that you've been able to share. So you can point to actual souls that have come to the kingdom because of you. But what if the things in your hand, <laughs> big or small, what if you have been using them and, you know, stewarding them, and actively like, yes, Jesus, yes, I want to build your kingdom. Yes, I'm 100% surrendered to your cause. Yes, use me. And you've been seeking to use these things for ages, but you are yet to see the fruit. You don't feel like you have anything to show for what God has given you. And if he was to come and ask for that account today, you'd be like, I tried, I tried, I tried, but I don't know. But here's my opinion. Here's my opinion. As this passage suggests, God knows what he wants to do. The scripture says that he knew what he was going to do before he even challenged the disciples with the task. And in this case, he still needed the boy's seemingly small offering to do that. And he needs ours too now regardless of whether we can tangibly see the impact in our lifetime and from our earthly perspective or not. Him having the plan and asking us to use these, which he does, should be enough for us. Now, the boy didn't know what was in his hands would be the entirety of God's ingredients for feeding the 5,000. He had no idea. But when Jesus was approaching him to take them, he let Jesus take it for use regardless. And the stuff that seems small to us can be multiplied powerfully when surrendered to the one whose kingdom we are seeking to spread. So, I've just read a biblical example of how giving even the small things to Jesus, stewarding them, um, and 
um, how he can multiply it beyond how we can even see or imagine. I've given a bigger biblical example of that. But now, for my second story, I'm going to give an example of how that's actually outworked in our church. Um, so, to help cement these truths in our hearts, I would like to invite you all to enjoy my second story, and I'm actually bringing up, here's a twist for you all, some special guests who are all going to share parts of their testimony with you and how different people who have come across their lives and used their talents have helped them on their spiritual journey. So without further ado, would my first guest, guest like to come up? Who is it, you may ask? Mr. Mike Collins. I even got your chair, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. Right, so this guy is a legend servant in our house, isn't he? He is. But what a lot of people may not know, Mike, is that you actually grew up in a non-Christian family. Um, so, for those who don't know, how did you become a Christian? Um, I grew up in, in Picton, uh, alongside your mum. Mum and dad sent us along to uh, Sunday school, but they didn't actually go to church themselves, interestingly. Um, when I came to Christchurch for work, I was boarding um, in Proctor Street near Northlands, and my landlady um, went to a Presbyterian church in Papanui, so I just uh, went along there, the one uh, opposite uh, KFC on Papanui Road, started attending there, and then uh, interestingly found out later on that that's the church my mum and dad were married in. I didn't realise it at the time. Um, also incredibly grateful to that church because it's where I met Linda and uh, we were married there as well. But Yay. in terms of me for, uh, <laughs> for my faith, I was very much um, at that point playing church, I guess, going through the motions, doing the right things, but not having really um, surrendered. Uh, completely uh, to God. Um, we were, it was, it was a, a reasonably uh, liberal church and we were very happy there and then um, the Holy Spirit sort of did a bit of a number on us and, and both of us at the same time all of a sudden were less comfortable with that and, and felt we needed um, something else. So we decided we would go and look at lots of churches and, and just see what's out there and uh, we came to this one and just stayed. And here you are. Here and are. so um, in your journey, uh, who and using what skills and talents have been instrumental to getting you to the point where you are? The main person I would put it down to um, was an assistant pastor here um, called Mark Robinson, who not long after we started coming came to visit us at home. And he used uh, the gift of discernment to work out really where I was at, despite appearances. Um, and he, he challenged me on, on where I was at with my faith. Um, and he used his evangelistic, very strong evangelistic gift also, just to, uh, yeah, to, to challenge me about, about where I was at. And uh, that was the big motivator for me to, to make a, a shift, a, a decision and... I guess, a big step on that way to much more surrender and commitment. To the 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and you yourself, Mike, you have a wonderful, um, you have family lineage with regards to teaching. So teaching is in the families, and you also, you have that gift. So a real talent and skill for teaching, but also a real heart and passion for seeing people increase in their understanding. So from them being here to being here in terms of their understanding something biblical, you are passionate about helping them on the journey that way. Uh, and so as a result of that, and the researching, Let's not forget the researching. Um, you know, you've run Creation Evolution uh, in this church uh, and also become a creation ministry speaker and have spoken multiple churches. But you reckon about 150 people so far have been through Creation Evolution? 150 people. 150 people, folks. That's pretty darn awesome. But then, Mr. Robert Norris, 20 or so years ago, um, with his maximizer strength and his old, you know, let's really push people to their boundaries. Um, he approached you and you and Linda, uh, and picking up, I'm guessing, on the, the teaching talent that was over your life, but also your love for people, your desire to see them and grow in their understanding. He asked if you would consider running Alpha. Um, and so, can you share a bit about? Um, you know, you've shared with me about how you felt God gave you the gift of being able to just see and love people through Alpha. Um, can you share a little bit more about why you and Linda felt called to go into Alpha? We didn't initially. <laughs> <laughs> I think Robert's words were, if you're not going to do this, what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so we did a couple of courses with Robert and then, then we took over. Um, Linda and I are fairly strong introverts. Um, we don't respond well to pressure, and we don't like to put pressure on, uh, on anybody else. And that fits well with the philosophy of Alpha, which is very, um, very relational. It's um, more akin to loving people into the kingdom than trying to pressure them. Um, and I guess the other thing that, that God knew was the huge growth curve that we would go through and we honestly feel like we've benefited as much, if not more, than anyone else who's done Alpha um, from, from leading it. So mm. those would be the main things. And during the 22 years that you ran it, 300 people, give or take, went through Alpha. Um, now, the f one of which, one of the 300, is our next panel guest, um, who came on the very first course that you were leading. And so would we like our next panel guest, Marie, to come up? <laughs> Welcome. Thank you, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, so Marie, uh, where, were you at, where were you at in your relationship with God uh, before you came to Alpha? Right. Um, I was a good Catholic girl. Um, I had a really strong upbringing in the Catholic faith. I believed in God 100%, um, but I found there was actually something missing. I had um, been to my priest and said, look, something's missing here. No, no, you've got it all together. You're my good wife, good mother. You come to church. 
Okay, no, you've done well. <laughs> and it was my story before coming to Alpha. Yep. And how did you hear about Alpha and what made you go? Alpha. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> oh, that's supposed to be a bit later, that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Um, what made me do Alpha? Well, I came to M&M's and I was befriended by Denise. And Denise has a huge part to play in me going to Alpha. She um, organised afternoon teas for me to meet outside M&M's. And Robert and Denise had Stephen and I over for afternoon tea and our children. And so we got to know them there. Um, another um, really important thing was the um, prayer that went on behind, so those connect groups that um, were praying for the people that were going on Alpha, and also the people that made the food, because we'd decided, well I'd spoken to my priest, and he said, oh you'll get the Baptist slant on if you do Alpha through the Baptists, <laughs> and so Stephen and I decided no, we weren't going to do it. And so I came to M&M's because it was on the morning of the Alpha dinner and I said, oh, I'm not going, we're not thinking of not doing it. And Denise said, oh, that's okay. I said, well, have you catered for us? And she said, yes. And I said, oh, no, no, no. If you've catered for us, we'll be there. <laughs> so, you know, respect for what people do for you. And so um, we went fully, um, yeah, fully convinced we weren't going to do the course. <laughs> no way, you know, we don't want any Baptist lunch on us. <laughs> and yet here you are. And yet here I am. Um, and so Marie, what impact have Mike and Linda, you've talked about Robert and Denise, what impact have Mike and Linda had on your life and your family by extension? And now I think we'll cue the first photo. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm not a going along with leaders kind of thing. So Mike and Linda sort of were in the back locks of the group. So um, it was easy for me to come alongside Mike and Linda. Um, and they just were themselves, as you know, just caring and loving. And their family and our family got along really, really well. Um, and so because of Alpha, um, Mike and Robert um, decided to start a prayer group for men on a six o'clock on a morning, in the morning, and they invited Stephen to go. And out of that probably came one of the most wonderful things in our life, was that group of families started journeying life together. Um, our children got to work with a community of believers. God underpinned that whole thing. And so this is a photo of us at Millennium that was, um, out the prayer group at Millennium, and then if you want to roll the next one, and that was in January, how the group had grown, and the kids obviously had grown, and they are the people that have journeyed with us through the last 22 years, and, the, and that's how long the prayer group's been going, and they've been meeting. Hmm. Um, and so, as we've got pictured here, folks, some of you will have been at this wedding, um, Marie's oldest daughter, Katie, met a boy <laughs> and, uh, and brought him to church. Uh, and when they decided to get married, uh, which we'll chuck the next slide up, 
Um, so by this, uh, through this, uh, Marie met James's mum, Jane, um, who is our next panel member. Um, and so some of you will actually remember meeting Jane at Kaylee and James's wedding, uh, but she has actually been coming to church since the wedding. Yes. Yes. Um, and so before James met Katie, Jane, yeah. what would you describe your relationship with God was like? My relationship with God? Oh, that's an interesting question. I've done a lot of reflection, actually, since you asked that question, Anna. And um, my relationship with God was one that I would describe um, like an acquaintance. So he's always been around in my life, but just on the periphery of it. And when I started to think about it, I recognised the fact that over the years, he's kind of um, picked off my closest and most loved people in my life and have taken them on a journey of faith, starting with my sister, who um, thought she might escape um, and sort of go to Africa to do some missionary work. But it, she actually at that point didn't believe, so she decided to go along to a, a Bible class to um, get a reference from the pastor so she could go and do um, this missionary work. But she ended up finding God and discipling. <laughs> funny that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's funny that. And discipling her husband. And then um, a few years after that, my dad had a calling to uh, God, and my parents started to go to church regularly. And... Um, and then we moved um, to be closer to them. And um, Emily, my daughter, my beautiful daughter, she loved her grandparents and used to go every Sunday to church. And she found faith from a really early age. Uh, but also it was incredible because no matter what anybody said to her, she'd say, that's okay, but I believe. I believe he's there. I believe in him. Which is just this awesome, strong um, faith. And then, um, then we move on a bit further and James, James meets a girl. And guess what? She loves God too. Isn't that amazing? And she comes here. And she comes here, absolutely. And then amongst that, I meet the uh, family of SABC, which was just awesome and welcoming and loving and kind. And, and normal. You guys are normal. <laughs> well, well, I know, absolutely. Um, and one of the first service sermons I ever listened to was John preaching about Frozen. Who would believe that? A pastor talking about Frozen. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and so you've talked beautifully about how, you know, our, SAB our SABC church family here um, was so welcoming of you. Um, but ro what role specifically has Marie played in your journey of exploring Christianity over the last couple of months? Marie's been instrumental into my journey into um, Christianity. Marie has this amazing faith that is steadfast and it's pure and it's true and it just absolutely draws you into it. Um, she is such a kind, compassionate, um, welcoming and non-judgmental person, a giving of her time and expecting nothing in return for that. Um, she and Steve have been incredibly hospitable. They spent many an evening watching Matthew with me in, in effort to educate me into the faith and so that I understand the importance of it. They're just amazing. And they fed me, which is wonderful. And so where are you at in your relationship with God now? 
Uh, I am on an exciting journey of faith, um, trying to, to greater understand um, the biblical teachings, to um, be able to deepen my faith and my understanding. And um, every time that I'm not quite sure where to go with it, God just kind of offers me something else. And so when I first started to come to church, to have a connection with James and Katie out of love and to be part of that life, I found, found God myself. And, um, and then Rowan uh, sort of welcoming Jesus into my life with me through prayer, which was um, awesome. And then just as I think, well, where do I go from that? How do I find more information? I did Mike's um, creation and evolution course. And then after that, they've dropped the beginner's Bible class into my lap. Yep. So uh, it's awesome. So we're on the journey. Absolutely. And I think one of the most wonderful things out of it is probably the sense of um, peace and balance and love. Mm. Let's give them a round of applause, folks. So, my church family... We've just heard about how seemingly small things given to God for his purpose can work for incredible kingdom advancement. We've heard about how a bold but discerning conversation prompted Mike to actually give Jesus his all, 100% of full surrender. We've heard about how Robert's maximizing strength and ability and willingness to challenge people and give them a go resulted in Mike and Linda taking up the call to run Alpha for 22 years, and 300 people have heard the basics of Christianity as a result of that. Uh, We've heard about how uh, Marie um, came to learn about Alpha through friendship, from Denise just being willing to be her friend at M&M's. We've heard about how the people who made meals for Alpha Um, can actually pat themselves on the back because it was the conviction that someone had catered for her that got Marie through the door on the first night. And she's still coming. Uh, We've heard about how Mike and Linda's non-judgmental spirit, a gift which they say God has given them, and kindness has led to the creation of a friendship that has not just lasted decades, as we saw in our Millennium photo, but has also seen Marie and Steve and the Tomset family as a whole discover the purpose of life and in turn begin to witness to others. And when Jane entered the Tomset sphere, she was welcomed in, like so many of us have been, by hospitality, by friendliness, by kindness, by food, with time. She felt welcomed by all of us at the wedding again just in the small gesture of taking the time to talk to her and be friendly. And Marie, over the last couple of months, has offered friendship and unconditional love and acceptance and a safe place to actually explore Christianity. And here she is now, boldly and bravely, coming up and sharing her faith journey to date a couple of months later. And here, family, is my ultimate point. If you don't remember anything else about the last two weeks, remember this. That Mark, the guy who had that bold and discerning conversation with Mike, when he was driving over to Mike's house that night, he had no idea. He didn't see Jane years and years later. 
But what he, the conversation that he was about to have, out of pure obedience, he had no idea that it would set off a chain of kingdom-building events. He had no idea. But God did. God knew the plan. He just needed obedience along the way. And this is surely a motivation for, to, for us to even give the seemingly small things on our lists and to press on and deliberately using them for kingdom building purpose, even if, even if we don't see the multiplication through our lens because we serve the one who does. Which brings me to my third and final story today. Now, this story is the one that is going to take me the shortest amount of time to share. But it is the one that we should be dwelling in and reflecting in all the time. It is the story which we should be seeking to tell in voice and in action through our lives every single day. It is the story that isn't actually a story, but rather it is the entirety of our purpose and our hope and the mission that we are a part of. It is the main thing, folks. And so as I share the gospel story this morning, um, and as the band come up, um, I encourage you to gaze at our reason and to reach your hands out in praise and offering of everything towards him. You know, over the last couple of months, and this is off the script, oh no. (laughs) Over the last couple of months, it's just been on my spirit just sometimes about how we can be so consumeristic. You know, those of us who have known the Lord for a long time and, you know, coming to this house every Sunday is a part of our routine. You know, sometimes that's what it can become. It can become routine. Um, But the purpose of this two-part series is to remind us that we have stuff in our hands and that ultimately it is also that people learn about that. It's all so that they learn about the gospel and the good news. And so, yeah, I'm just going to share the gospel story with you. Because it actually might have been a while since you heard it. So in the beginning, almighty, powerful, and glorious, and loving God, he created. And in the first three days, he created spaces. And in the next three days, he created the things that would fill these spaces. And on the sixth day, he made man in his own image and with the purpose of dwelling and ruling with him over what he had created. We were created perfect and could be in God's astoundingly beautiful and pure presence because we were created pure too. But we were also created with free will. God's intention was always that we would choose him and that it would be a relationship of choice and of love, not of force. And so in the Garden of Eden, our first earthly space, God set amongst a whole lot of awesome stuff, a choice, a test, a representation of choice called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he instructed men not to eat from. Importantly, God said that if man were ever to choose to eat from it, he would surely die. And such an action would separate us us from him for eternity. Man could not eat from anything else, could, could eat from anything else but that one, just one. But then, a cunning serpent whose intention is death, whose intention was to separate us from God, convinced man from free will to eat from this one tree. And at this point, as God's, 
as per God's words, we were no longer pure and able to be in God's perfect presence. We chose to rule on our own accord. And we became separated from the God who loves and created us importantly. It also meant eternal death. Without God as consequence, as his word has said. But out of love, out of love for me and for each of you, God had a plan to save us from eternal death and restore us to partnership with him. Our choice, the death we had chosen for ourselves, had to be felt with, had to be dealt with and paid for. And so as we read the Gospels, and just after our parable of the talents, two chapters later, we read about how Jesus, the perfect son of God, born into this earth as human, symbolically ends up in his own garden and is presented with his own choice. And he chooses to be humiliated, to have deep, long nails banged into his hands, to be exposed and in pain. And he chooses to die, to take on the consequence of our actions, and in turn to pave a way back to a relationship with him that we were made for. And the cross is our bridge back to our original condition and position with God. Our master's death makes us pure again through his blood, and it gives us access back to life. And by choosing him again, we receive redemption through Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit Spirit as our helper. And we receive all of these things and a mission to go out into the world and to tell people about it. So let's get to it, folks, with renewed vigor. (laughs) Let's have a fresh sense of urgency in using these things. Whether you consider them small or not, and whether you can see the impact or not, let's have a fresh sense of urgency in terms of surrendering them to Christ and his purpose. And that is the ultimate story. That's what it's all for, folks. Him hanging on that tree is what it's all for. So, as the band plays the final song, um, I did feel as I was preparing this that there actually might be some people out there today who have been discouraged Um, You may have been faithfully serving with time and talents and skills and aptitudes as best you can for years and years and years. And if you've been discouraged because you haven't seen the fruit, um, I really encourage you to come forward and get some prayer for that. I'm not going to speak into into it a lot, but if you've been discouraged, come and get prayer prayer for that. But I also really want this final song. I'm going to keep that image up there. Let's spend some time praising him for the life that we have through his sacrifice and his death. When was the last time you actually were like, Jesus, I love you. I'm so grateful. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. So, <laughs> so let's pour out some praise. And I don't know if you want to find your own space, and I don't know how you best do that, but find some space and spend some time actually pouring out praise for that. Good on you, folks. I'll take it, you can see.